Hi, and welcome to Unlimited, the podcast platform that gives voice to remarkable women and mothers in the Arab world to inspire, engage, and drive growth. For this new episode of Unlimited Perspective Series, we're glad to introduce you to Mimi Nicklin, international best-selling author of Softening the Edge, host of the Empathy for Breakfast show, as well as The Secrets of the Gap, which was recently nominated among the top five best podcasts in the UAE by Kaliji Times. So congratulations for that. <laughs> Very fresh. Of the press. <laughs> Creative Officer, Original Managing Director for a global advertising agency. Mimi has lived in London, Hong Kong, Johannesburg, Singapore, Cape Town, and now Dubai. I think we have three in common out of these lots. <laughs> and worked for over 15 years in 25 markets across the globe with mission, the mission to change organizations from inside out, focusing on cultural, behavior, and mindset change. Mimi is an empathy ambassador who believes that empathetic influence can make a significant difference to our society and world of work, and our goal is to inspire change, fill the empathy gap, and rebuild our societies and businesses worldwide, one organization at a time. So I've done my homework. <laughs> and today we're here to contribute to Mimi's missions and spread her message about empathy. So obviously, welcome to Unlimited. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for such a beautiful introduction. You've done your homework indeed. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, first of all, uh, thank you actually for keeping me company during the lockdown month, uh, as we were just talking about lockdown, with your weekly show, Empathy for Breakfast. And I can't believe that now I'm actually here to interview you on the, on the show. So we're shifting um, turns and roles. Before. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you were there all those months ago when it all sort of began. And, and like you said, we've come 360. Yes, exactly. So before we start, how do you do? How are you? And you know that I really mean it uh, because I keep wondering when did we lost, when this question lost uh, the deep meaning, right? Because it became an empty salutation, while instead uh, should really be the first uh, approach to show that we care. So how do you do? Yes, you're right. It has become a little bit empty. How am I doing? I think I would say I'm a little bit bored, not by my work or by anything particularly, but just because it's been 15 months since I left Dubai, since I saw my family or, or anybody else that's not my sort of team that I work with and, and, and some of my friends here. So yeah, I think it's it's just a little bit flat. I mean, I think other parts of the world have it far, far more difficult than Dubai. You know, there's like you were mentioning earlier, Italy's going back into lockdown. The UK has been in lockdown for weeks. And, you know, we have quite a lot of freedom here. But I do think, yeah, there's just for me a lack of energy. I feel like I've been always on for 14 months and there is no break. You know, there is no escape from that. Um, so generally happy and loving my work and doing some beautiful things with my daughter. But yeah, just perhaps a little bit flat. What is empathy? Uh, and how can it help her to go past this uh, or approach this, this phase? Yeah, it's the million dollar question, Daniela. <laughs> um, empathy is about perspective taking. So really empathy is the ability to see the world through the eyes of another, to stand in their context, to understand how they got to where they are in that moment. In the business world, particularly, um, I talk about it being a data set because really that is what it is. When you can understand others, when you can understand your team, your suppliers, your partners, your clients, you, you have a data set. You understand why are they making that decision? How did they get to this today? Why are they saying that? Why do they see it like this? 
Um, so it's a data set, it's about perspective taking, it's about uh, seeing and feeling as another. And uh, having seen so many different places and having worked and lived with so many different cultures, um, if you were to draw a world map of empathy, where would you say, how would you rate the different countries? Where would you say that the highest levels of empathy are where they are the lowest, if it makes any sense? Mm. I often answer, answer this question by saying I wish that that existed because there has been very little sort of geographical mapping and I think that would just be the most fantastic project to take on. But what I can tell you is that in the collectivist societies, so Asia, India, parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, you see higher natural levels of empathy. So in those cultures where we are more collectivist, we are more connected, working in teams, part of communities, um, still sort of working for the sum of the whole, as it were, uh, we do see higher levels of instinctive empathy than when you are in the more developed individualistic countries, you know, the US, the UK, parts of Europe, Canada, Australia, where we see huge levels of individualism, people living alone. It's just, we, we don't have those collective norms as part of the society where empathy is suffering the most and is at the lowest level so there isn't a geographical map but there is a connection between the type of societies that we see around the world and as I said the collectivist countries are doing better on instinctive empathy uh, on an ongoing basis. How can we learn from them and help uh, um, restore this uh, empathy deficit in the countries that have lost it? Well, the, the, there's a couple of keys to really restoring empathy. The first is awareness, which is why I do what I do and why I get up every day to, to talk about empathy, because this is something we're born with. It's innate, it's evolutionary. There's no difference between men and women, you know, me and you, you and your mum, whatever. Um, it's, it's all exactly the same. So awareness is a key part of that. The, the awareness that there is a need for empathy and that we could be using it more. Um, the second part of that is really listening. So teaching and inspiring people to listen better because it's uh, it's almost like our secret superpower and yet we are not teaching it in schools, in universities, certainly in corporates to actually actively listen and listen to understand rather than listen to reply. So awareness and listening are probably the two key pieces that we can we can learn from those societies to really improve our empathy. And because you just mentioned your daughter, right? Um, how do you practice it with your daughter from a, a mother perspective, as an empath, as an expert in empathy, but also as a mother? Because it's easy to preach, right? Not easy to to practice, especially let's say when we come home after a very heavy heavy day at work and stressed, and at times I feel that we unfold too much at home. Yeah, you're right. It can be um, it can be challenging to always be empathetic with with those around you, with those whether that's at work or at home. Um, it is definitely a cognizant decision. You have to have the, as I said, the awareness, the commitment, and probably the time to do that. Um, how I practice it with her, I talk to her a lot about hearing each other. I talk to her a lot about I understand what you're saying. The key with with parenting, particularly with the little ones, is not to follow that with the word but. So I understand how you're feeling but we're going to do it my way anyway. That has completely undone all of the empathy that you put into the room. So yeah, I'm extremely um, cognizant of how I hear her spending a lot of time at eye level. She's only three. Um, so spending a lot of time, you know, at her level, looking in her eyes, really being patient to hear her out and let her finish. I think being a toddler, I mean, she's nearly four, so she's nearly out of toddler time, but it must be just the most frustrating 
time of your life, right? Everybody's making decisions for you. You don't understand what you want to do. People tell you no. You're walking down the street. We tell you you're too slow. You want to put your own shoes on. We don't have time, right? I mean, I just think it must drive you bonkers being a toddler. So I try very hard to put myself in her shoes, literally. And sometimes that does mean in my head, I'm saying, just wait, just wait, just wait while I let her finish whatever she's doing. Because, you know, if we're truly understanding each other, time is really important. Well, as a mother of a teenager, I should tell myself, just wait, just wait. She'll get over these challenging years. <laughs> But what strikes me is that you're not only... Um, You're not only an ambassador of empathy in life and in the personal space, but also in the workplace. Mm. Uh, so in your experience, how can empathy really impact the professional lives, not only of, uh, let's say, the employees, but also of the employers, not only of the team members, but also the team, team leaders? What are the benefits that it can bring to the individual and to the organizations? Absolutely. I mean, it really is. Um, it really does impact both. So I talk about balancing humanism with capitalism. Um, I, companies need to make money. All of us need to make money, right? Charities, organizations, communities, religious institutions, we all need to make money in order to sustain our existence. So imbuing empathy in the workplace is absolutely about the people you're impacting as well as the bottom line that you're, you're affecting. So empathy has been shown to increase all kinds of business metrics. So productivity goes up, performance goes up, output goes up, innovation, strategic thinking, creative thinking goes up. We see higher levels of morale and motivation. We see lower levels of absenteeism and staff turnover. So there's huge amounts of data. This is not my data. This is coming out of you know, big universities and business schools in the US predominantly um, to show that emotionally intelligent, connected organizations that allow their humans to thrive do better And that is because our cognitive function is inextricably linked with our emotional function. So when people feel seen and heard, bottom of you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they feel understood, they feel recognized, they do better. That is instinctive to the human race. That's how we grow and how we thrive in our lives. So there is plenty of data now that shows that empathetic organizations are beneficial to both. Not only do you have these staff that feel valued and seen and heard they feel they can grow you see self-censorship go down so they feel they have a voice and they can talk but we do see really direct impacts on the bottom line on profit and on growth so yeah this truly is about businesses and the people that run them and not just one of those facets mm. there is a very fine line that i personally felt in my 20 years in, in corporate um in between an invisible line, right? In between, again, workspace and personal space, especially when it comes down to the privacy. Um, so how do you define where these boundaries in and how can it step into the empathy progression? I mean, um, especially where there are multicultural environments, how do you know when it's okay to ask about Uh, has family and when is no longer okay to ask about family because it could be seen as uh, um, an invasion of the privacy. I think listening is a really, really key part of that. And you will be able to sense either from the person you're talking to, or maybe there's a bigger cultural reality there that you're touching on, you know, what you can ask and, and what's comfortable and what's uncomfortable. The reality is, is that curiosity drives our understanding. If you don't ask any questions, you can't possibly ever learn about anybody else. 
Um, but also being able to empathize means being able to, um, you know, put yourself in a position where you can hear another person. And if they close down and don't want to share how their family is, then leave it. You know, then that's part of empathizing. You understand that that's not what they want to do. Um, I, uh, it can be a fine line in organizations that have very sort of autocratic or very strict, stern, I guess, corporate cultures. Um, but I would say that as human beings, uh, particularly if you get each other out of the office, so go downstairs for coffee, go down the road for a cup of tea, whatever it is, that most human beings want to be inquired of. Most human beings want to be asked, how are you? How can I help? How's your role? How's home? How are you feeling since COVID? Most people want to be asked that, those questions because, as I said, it's fundamental to our need in life to be seen. That is absolutely at the core of who we are as human beings. Now, I think that the bigger challenge is that some leaders have never done that. So the shift needs to be really cognizant and really well communicated, because if your team is not used to you asking those questions, you may find that they don't want to share or that they're risk averse, that they, they are uncomfortable. So I would say to those type of leaders that really it's a matter of having a discussion and saying to people, 2021, I want to embrace more connected, empathetic, understanding, human-led, whatever you want to call it, leadership, um, and get to know your day-to-day, -day, your life a little bit better so we can work better together. So I am going to be asking a few more questions because I'm interested in you. And if at any time you don't want to share, please feel free to tell me. So it may be a matter of, as I said, setting that up and managing expectations, but I think on the whole, most humans want to be connected to other humans. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, it might sound a bit, uh, so there is a little effort that needs to be put into uh, in place to start practicing it, right? Although you said that it is natural, but then we need to, uh, I believe you say, learn it, fine tune it and practice it, right? Because it's not enough to just talk about it or maybe to do a workshop about it unless we then start putting into practice and um, mm kickstart that uh, that habit do you feel that it's more um who's responding uh, more proactively is more the international uh, global organizations and corporates or small family-owned businesses who can really play a, an active role in uh, making the change and driving the change i think it's everybody i think there is a massive shift i think um when you look back to november 2019 which feels like about 20,000 years ago, but was actually 15 months ago. Um, nobody was talking about empathy. It wasn't in the media, it wasn't in leadership, you know, it just wasn't a thing. Um, and you look at what's changed in those 14 months and there has been a huge revolution actually in understanding the role of emotional intelligence, of understanding diversity and inclusion, connectivity, all of these things in the workplace, it's totally shifted. So. I think whoever you are, whether you're in a huge corporate, I mean, some of the biggest corporates in the world are embracing this, you know, Microsoft, Unilever, um, lots of companies are. Um, and equally, some of the more privately owned or family owned businesses here in the Middle East have been in touch with me and said, how do we do this? So I think it's, it's about the leader. It's about the belief of that holding organization, whoever they are. But it's also about the human race. I think there's a huge shift happening. And that demand is coming from the bottom as well as the top. So it's definitely evolutionary and uh, I think that pace is picking up. And how, how much COVID has uh, opened up our mind and our consciousness towards, towards this? Uh, were we just too busy working and our, life, our lives were just too, too busy and too active before just to pay attention to each other's needs? Um, because at the end now 
we are more and more connected than ever, right? With the social media and everything and technology, but we're probably more on a physical and emotional level, we're more disconnected than ever. And I believe you said in a recent interview, and I quote you that um, there's a loneliness endemic in this global pandemic. So how do we, again, research from this? Yeah, look, it, it has, definitely COVID has had an impact. I think COVID has, yes, there's a time-based time reality to that, that people had time in their days that they didn't have before to, to think, to discover, to study, to all of these things, uh, which raised our, our awareness. There is also just, as you mentioned, a connectivity we didn't have before. So we've seen each other's homes and children and dogs and grandmas and you know whoever else is in your house. So there has been a real... Um, sort of rebalance of our humanity when we've seen literally into the lives of other people which has created a far higher understanding but there has also been various other things that happened in 2020 of course the pandemic takes up the majority of our sort of think space but black lives matter was a huge sort of wake-up call for most of the world but predominantly uh, america of course in terms of that empathy for other races and and other people that are sharing cities and spaces. There was the American elections in which Joe Biden won and his campaign was about empathy, empathy and unity. And you know, when he did his speech, his inauguration speech, the word empathy was on the biggest screen I've ever seen. It's probably like, you know, half a skyscraper. Um, so that was, was a huge elevation of that word in popular and political culture. Um, you know, Me Too movements, sustainability movements, um, all of the stuff going on at the moment with International Women's Day and some of the violence on the streets of London. You know, there's there's many conversations which are driving this awareness um, of our need for connectivity. And as you quite rightly said, Daniela, the loneliness endemic and the associated mental health issues, which have also been fast tracked. So the awareness of what's going on in terms of depression and anxiety and even suicide is now also an, a conversation that has been elevated. We have 400 million people with depression. Um, and, and that's one of our greatest burdens on our public health systems all around the world. Mental health and the associated physical problems are costing our governments and countries hundreds of millions. So there is, as I said, a new understanding of our needs as human beings, our emotional needs to be connected, all of these things um, are, are now, they have price tags against them. <laughs> For, for the first time. And so there is elevated discussion also at a government level, government and society level about the state of wellness and health of our people and how we improve that going forwards. And I think that talking about corporate organization, institutions, schools are also among them, right? Because they, again, in this phase, uh, they had to face uh, a reality that was never known. And uh, yes, while uh, the focus might be on the academic progression and still get the lessons running, but uh, for sure the engagement and the emotional and mental well-being of the, of the children, of all our children, uh, is not to be um, underestimated. Um, do you know if there's anything from, from, from your side uh, being in the, in the core of the subject that schools uh, and all institu um, educational institutions can, can do or have been done to address this? It's, yeah, also a conversation that's rising. There is um, an organisation based in the UK but working globally called Empathy Week. And it was uh, two weeks ago, actually, Empathy Weeks. So it was in um, early, late February, early March this year. Um, where they work with schools all over the world, literally all over the planet, um, to create materials and training, teaching materials that can be used for a week 
um, to elevate children's understanding of empathy. And their goal is that every child that goes through that does that from the age of five to the age of 18. So they have many, many years in which they spend one week a year specifically focusing on empathy in order to grow up with a, a real understanding of that. Um, so there are organizations pushing that agenda. There are schools. Um, the Green School, which is a relatively well-known school founded in Bali, but now in various locations around the world, has empathy imbued into the values of the school. So the children that go through the Green School, empathy is something that they're taught and, and it's part of who they are as sort of little citizens of the planet. And that's just one example that I happen to, to know and have been looking at recently. But there are schools that have it on their sort of curriculum, as it, as it were, or in their values, um, whether that's empathy for each other, but also empathy for the planet, empathy for uh, our surroundings. So it is, it is a shift, but it's, um, it's early days. You know, when you look at the macro educational systems in somewhere, you know, Spain, Italy, France, the UK, the United States, this is not a conversation that's at the top level uh, yet. But I think that's changing. People know in the education industry that, you know, these skills, so empathy, collaboration, communication, connection, creativity, these are the skills that are gonna change our future and there is a need to embed them into, into the education system. Absolutely. Are there any practical exercises that we could do um, from, from our side, whether it's again with our family, uh, friends, and then uh, colleagues, uh, any top tips, uh, do's and don'ts also, things that we could do and things that we shouldn't do to, to practice? Okay. Absolutely. I mean, as I said earlier, listening um, is the sort of backbone of empathy. So there's a couple of things you can do around that. One of them is eye contact. Um, lots of these things are subconscious. They're built into the subconscious part of our brain. So eye contact is something that as human beings, we are tuned to respond to. If people aren't looking at you, you know that there's lack of trust, there's danger, there's um, sort of distance between you. These are all things that your brain acknowledges. If you want to maintain eye contact better if you're one of these people that finds it quite hard one little tip is to remember the color of the eyes of the person you're looking at so when you look at Daniela today try and remember okay what color eyes has she got and and recognize that and what it will do is it will give you probably a second or two more looking at Daniela's eyes to work it out um, and that additional connection will really make a difference to the person you're looking at they will really feel that you've seen them that you've connected with them um, avoiding crossing your arms Again, from an evolutionary subconscious point of view, crossing arms is a sign of creating distance. So people know, subconsciously, they know that if you have crossed your arms, you are creating a gap specifically. You are saying, keep away from me because of whatever, fear, danger, sickness, all of these things that are subconsciously built into the human brain. So avoid crossing your arms. Body language as a general principle, really, really important square your shoulders to people, lean in. I mean, not uncomfortably and of course safely in COVID times, but lean towards people. Um, smiling, another totally evolutionary piece that I write about in my book. I think it's one of the most underestimated skills in the business world. Oh, look, and Daniela is showing me a poster of the word smile as I talk. Um, exactly, it's hugely powerful. It hormonally changes our brains and bodies physiologically. So it actually makes a difference to your body, which has an impact on all kinds of things, health, immunity, all kinds of things. But it creates connectivity again, subconsciously. It's very difficult actually to not smile back at someone. If someone really authentically smiles, very hard for another human to avoid that. So if someone's feeling sad or stressed or anxious or unsure in their, in their role, smiling at them, 
makes a massive difference. And as I said, that's evolutionary. So those are some of the things that make a massive difference to being able to connect with people and uh, a few things to do and a few things to avoid. The good thing is that even if uh, most of the times now our uh, mouths are covered by the face, but it's true that it does show when we smile, even through our eyes, right? So problem is why we're wearing sunglasses and that really become a mystery. Yeah, and you're totally covered. But you're right. If I mean, there is no doubt, and I've tested it for many months now, that people know when you're smiling with your eyes, for sure. So uh, if you make eye contact and smile, people know. A hundred percent. We are we are very sophisticated beings, and the mask is no excuse for for a lack of connectivity. Wherever we are, and we, I feel that we all deserve empathy, right? So yes, it's empathy toward the others, but what about ourselves, right? Because we've all been put under such uh, pressure wherever and from all different uh, uh, levels. So is there such thing as self empathy? Is self-empathy the new self-love? <laughs> uh, no, because it's completely different, but it, there is a thing and it exists and it's very important. So self-love or self-care um, is really what you would give to another as a good friend, right? So if your good friend or family member was hurt, sad, sick, stressed, depressed, whatever, self-love is a similar action to what you would give to them. So the care you would give to them to help them feel better in that environment is what self-love is to yourself. It is the gift of things that are loving or caring um, to you. Self-empathy is about understanding. Self-empathy is the ability to truly understand what's going on internally with you, what you need to thrive, what's going on, how you're feeling, sensations in the body, feelings, thoughts, judgments, biases in the body um that allow you to understand yourself better and that really is the core to all empathy if you do not empathize with yourself it's incredibly difficult to empathize with others because it's impossible to know whether your understanding of them is really theirs or your reflection of yourself on them are they really feeling anxious or do you think that they're feeling anxious so being connected to yourself and understanding yourself is is really important it allows us to empathize it's a gift to the world actually it's our ability to connect um, but of course it's our own ability to thrive and to know what we need to be the best version of us as well wow wow and uh, linked to our ability to thrive is what i call our paramount question right what does unlimited mean to you i think unlimited is about mindset i think unlimited is about opportunity so unlimited to me is what i'm trying to live at the moment which is not to let the external world stop you becoming what you need to become, what your purpose is, where your path is, your journey is. That is for me a mindset, unlimited, because there are hundreds of limitations, especially now. Health, travel, legal, I mean, you name it, there's another one. Unlimited is the mindset to, we said it, to thrive, to grow, to achieve your dreams and your purpose, regardless of what the external world is placing around you. Wow, wow. And it's actually, it all started with the limit, with the COVID limitation, right? And limit is started as a, as a passion project coming out of the first few weeks of uh, lockdown restrictions, etc. because I feel that we feel, self-inculated, that we are unlimited no matter what. So even more today, thank you to um, your time and really this inspiring conversation. And I would say, as you say, right, and I read again, the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. 
So with our conversation, <laughs> our conversation might be just a drop in an ocean, but at least we started to talk and now off we go and start practicing it. Thank you, Daniela, for helping me exactly, as you just said, helping me raise awareness and for having the conversation. And as you mentioned at the beginning, for connecting with me in this crazy world and making a new friend. So thank you so much for having me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you found it inspiring and fulfilling. Please subscribe to Unlimited on your favorite podcast app so you won't miss out on our next stories. To learn more about our content, please log on to our website and follow us at unlimited.me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and help us building a truly unlimited community. Thank you.